You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space. Now, if you hear a doorbell, it's because of trick-or-treaters, but it's Australian Halloween, which means actually I'm probably not going to get any trick-or-treaters. It's becoming more popular, but it's very much a suburb-by-suburb sort of thing. Ours is a complete dead zone. We put up lights, we put up a pumpkin, we're going to be ignored again, so it's very unlikely this podcast will be interrupted. Musketeer Space, Chapter 23 Something Political Dana, or rather her cover identity, Alex Charlemagne, learned more about her travelling companions over the next few hours than she ever needed to know about anyone. The charming Bianca was just as interested in Alex's story as she was in her own, which meant that Dana had to busily invent all kinds of details and then try to remember them. It kept her awake for the journey to Argarine and the venturer that would take her off this planet and home to Paris Satellite. Bianca, Countess of Claric, forbade her new friend from ever referring to her title. She embodied everything that Dana had ever heard about new aristocrats. Bianca was an elite hobbyist sportswoman who occupied her days attending parties, travelling for shooting competitions and duelling in the back streets for kicks. Relieved, Dana confessed her own taste for the sword. The profile she had built was that of a spoiled daughter of a wealthy family on a grand tour across the solar system. She incorporated an unnamed Athos in her tales as an extremely grumpy swordmaster. Aramis, likewise unnamed, became Alex's poetry tutor, while Porthos, mentioned only as Madame Polly, was her governess. After a while, she realised she was enjoying herself. Bianca had a talent for card games as well as gossip. It was the first time Dana had relaxed since she was last with her friends. Vaniel was more of a mystery. Bianca described him as something political in the city, and he offered nothing to add to that, busily working away and ignoring them both. The only time he interrupted their conversation was when he threw himself half across Bianca's lap to call up a newscast on the back wall of the carriage. Oh, not now, Vaniel, Bianca moaned. Turn it down. I don't have the least interest in whether the Marquise de Ward is running for office or if she's been named best-dressed politician for the third week in a row. Your obsession is boring. Put a cake in it, B, was all her charming companion replied. He stood in the aisle, watching the newscast with an odd burning hunger in his face. Later, when their sumptuous supper was delivered, Dana nodded towards the other side of the carriage, where Vaniel had exiled himself, as part of his ongoing interest in the political ramifications of whatever it was that this Marquise de Wards had said at her public address. Will your husband want to eat as well? Bianca stared at her in open-mouthed shock, and then all but killed herself laughing. Oh, that's priceless, Lexi, she bellowed. 
Alex Charlemagne had become Lexi somewhere around about the third hour of the journey, and Bianca demanded she call her B in return. Vaniel, she thinks we're married. Isn't that a kick? How precious, said Vaniel, in a light drawl that almost but not quite reminded Dana of Athos. He is my brother-in-law, B said, when she had herself under control. Widowed when my poor sister died a few years ago. I keep him around since he had the good taste to sire the cleric heir. Saved me the trouble of birthing my own children. Who can be bothered with that nonsense? Dana saved herself from answering by filling her mouth with a smoked salmon bellini. Of course, said B thoughtfully, eyeing Dana up from head to toe. It would make us very happy. If you married again, I don't suppose you're in the market for a husband. B, said Vaniel warningly from the corner, which showed he was keeping at least half an ear on proceedings. Don't marry me off to strangers on the train. Fine, B said, and mimed, we'll talk later, to a horrified Dana. By the fifth hour of the journey, even B had exhausted all topics of conversation. She collapsed against the window, with a selection of fashion magazines she'd managed to apply to Vaniel's tablet. Only minutes after she started flicking through the images, she was fast asleep. To Dana's surprise, Vaniel surfaced from his work long enough to order tea from the food printer, and then offered to play a game of chess. Clears my head he said, with a rare smile. He beat Dana twice in quick succession, all the while explaining to her why the political aspirations of the Marquise de Ward were important. She was a staunch loyalist to the solar system and had announced today that she was in the running for first minister. Her platform was based on opposition to planetary independence for valour, supporting the continued rule of the Regents Royale. The Marquise's talent for personal PR and her reputation as a fashion icon had helped to establish her massive popularity among the all-important demographic of voters who hated politicians. To Dana's surprise, once she realised that the Duchess of Buckingham was the other proposed candidate for the First Minister, running on a platform of planetary independence based upon an upcoming referendum, she became rather interested in the matter, and was more than happy to listen to Vaniel's spiel. He enjoyed having someone to bounce his thoughts off, and the two of them spent a pleasant hour or two batting politics back and forth, in a manner that might or might not have been flirtatious. It was late at night when they finally arrived in the city. Dana rose with her suitcase full of frocks, and peacock coat, and diamond studs. The venture on which Alex Charlemagne had booked her passage would leave at midnight. Perhaps our paths will cross again, said Vaniel, his political face restored and his hair combed neatly. You're on your way to Paris Satellite. I've always wanted to go, said Dana, with a smile that she didn't have to fake. Home, she was going home. I'm sure you'll find many amusements there. 
Vaniel shook B awake with a brotherly carelessness, and the other woman hurled herself at Dana, with apologies and lipstick-smearing kisses, and promises to keep in touch. Dana had already half forgotten the clerics when she stepped onto the platform. The sooner she got back to Paris and completed her duty to the prince consort, the sooner she could reunite herself with Porthos, Aramis, Athos and their Engies. A delegation of secretaries and assistants were waiting to greet Vaniel and B. Several of them swiped wrist studs against Vaniel's to share files instantly, while one lurched ahead of the rest to perform a formal greeting. Milord de Winter, the press conference has been pushed back an hour, but the Freedom Delegation has priority depending on... Dana almost lost her footing and fell under the train. Goodness, darling, said B, leaning back to clasp her elbow. You look like you've seen a ghost. Dizzy, Dana whispered. God and all, my lord de Winter. Winter, this charming chess-playing political obsessive, was the man who had put a psychotic copy of himself inside Buck's head to spy on the prince. It was worse than that because with that title, my lord, she realised where she had seen him before. He had been dressed differently, acting differently. That night in the bar on Mung Station, all silver hair and lazy drawl, but it was him, the agent working with Rosne Cho. You know there are two winters, the silver and the brown. The silver lives inside my head, but the brown, he's the dangerous one. You won't even see him coming. Dana had liked Vaniel. She'd played chess with him, and his sister-in-law had tried to set them up, and, oh, God, she had the diamonds here in her suitcase only metres away from him. She had escaped right under his nose. He wasn't looking in her direction as she drew away. She wasn't interesting to Vaniel de Winter, now that he had people around him who actually understood the Valor political system. Still dazed. Dana exchanged a final air kiss with B, and fled the station, heading across the city she didn't know, to reach her berth on the Venturer. Home, she was going home, away from politicking my lords and drug-addled duchesses and charming countesses and this sodding planet that was capable of making Athos furious merely by raining on him. Home to Paris. Everything was going to be all right. Lala Louise Renard Royal, Regents of the Solar System, was surrounded by peacocks. A host of beautiful people, in bright, preening colours. She had never been so bored in her life. The hunt called to her as it often did, but she pressed down the urge to flee this crowd and bury herself in her beloved chemicals. She had a duty to perform tonight. She had to find out if the terrible thing that the Cardinal believed about her husband was true. Not that Cardinal Richelieu had said anything at all to condemn the Prince Consort. She implied it, with the occasional word or gesture or sympathetic glance. A hint in the wrong place could bring down her government. 
and Lala Louise could not let that happen. The Cardinal knew best. Lala Louise had always believed that. Even in what was best meant taking power and funding away from the musketeers who had always served the crown so diligently. The regents of the solar system maintained her independence from the church. She shared breakfast chocolate with Amiral Treville as often as she did with the cardinal. She listened to many advisers, not just the diplomatic priest who had been there since the beginning. Lala Louise had even married against the advice of her eminence, thinking she knew better. No, she had known better. Maintaining good relations with honour and the elemental faction was important, no matter what the Church of All said about it. Lala Louise married Alec to prove to the solar system that she could unite everyone, church and elementals, dirtsiders and space dwellers. If they had an heir by now, even the cardinal would drop her resistance to Alec's role as prince consort. A baby would have been the perfect way to unite the most divisive groups in the solar system. Lala Louise was going to have to put her foot down about that soon. Alec's religious and cultural beliefs made it hard for him to accept the idea of a capsule-born baby, but he must realise by now they were not going to get an heir any other way. Assuming, of course, that the marriage did not dissolve first. It was unthinkable that the Cardinal might be this wrong about something, but if the Cardinal was right, then Lala Louise's marriage was more of a lie than she had ever imagined. Alec, her sweet, beautiful husband, was not hers after all, but another conspirator working against her. Lala Louise heard the chime that indicated that the prince consort had entered the ballroom. She rose to stride through the crowd of masked beauties. Her guests gleamed in peacock colours, scattered with diamonds and diamante beading. The ballroom was decked out as a glorious jewelled garden, with crystal hover chandeliers lighting every corner. The hover chandeliers were equipped with can feeds, capturing the outrageous costumes and elegant dancing of the Regents' chosen guests, so that the party could be broadcast live across the solar system. Lala Louise was garbed as a huntress of olden times, with a gilded bow strung across her back and long trousers made of deep green suede. Instead of her usual army of dressmakers, she had summoned Alec's own tailor, Sue, to make her a long silk coat that would perfectly complement the one he had made for her husband's birthday. She had taken the opportunity to examine Sue's face for any hint of betrayal, but his hands were calm and his manner pleasant during their fittings. Apparently he knew of no reason why that coat might cause her pain or public embarrassment. Lala Louise cut through the crowd and finally, finally saw Alec. He stood in polite discussion with a group of political types from Valor. Of course, he was not surrounded with friends. He had so few left on Luna Palais, with most of them exiled for political reasons, or distancing themselves from him for their own protection. He was as handsome as ever, 
a prime example of austerian beauty. And yet, Lala Louise felt a chill as she approached him. Alec wore black from head to toe. His hair had been recoloured, so it fell in feathery locks of purple, green and gold, like the fanned tail of a peacock. And he wore diamond beads that hung from each ear. But there was no sign of the peacock coat, nor the diamond studs. Lala Louise burned with a fury so hot that there was no air left in the room. It was true then. She had made a mistake with him. The cardinal would hold this over her head forever. Husband, she said, ice dripping from her voice. How plain you look this evening. Wife, he said politely, taking her hands to kiss them both. I hope you don't mind that I chose to dress simply tonight. How can one peacock stand out in a crowd of hundreds? On the contrary, Lala Louise snarled. It was rare for her to feel any emotion outside her beloved game. But this made her so angry she couldn't see straight. I particularly chose the theme of this ball so that you could display the diamonds I gave you. I chose my own outfit to compliment yours. She sounded like a petulant child. If she had a glass of champagne in her hand, she would throw it over him. Alec's face changed as he realised the extent of her anger. My darling, forgive me. I did not wish to risk eclipsing your own appearance. He kissed her hands again, more passionately. I shall change at once. See that you do, she said, barely getting out the words. Her husband made his exit with a polite bow that infuriated her as much as everything else about this evening. The moment that Alec was gone from her sight, Lala Louise turned to see Cardinal Richelieu, regarding her with warmth and sympathy. She wanted to smash everything, but instead she smiled and nodded, and accepted the congratulations of her guests, as if this party was everything she had ever hoped it would be. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. And, as you heard, there were no interruptions. An Australian Halloween is very quiet. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at Tansy RR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. Uh, next month in November 2021, my $2 and above Patreons will get first well, exclusive read for 12 months of the next Teacup Magic tie-in novella, which is called Lady Liesel's Seaside Surprise. So if you want to, uh, to read that, then uh, toss my Patreon a $2 pledge in November. Okay, see you next week.